Well, well, all right. Hello once again to all of our listeners in points unknown throughout the Cotton Belt. From California to the Carolinas, we want to welcome you back. We're, we're happy to have you with us. We are back with this, the 22nd episode of the world-famous Cotton Companion Podcast. My name is Beck Barnes, and as always, I am here with my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Hello, Jim. Beck, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. As you know, it's been uh, a rainy one, a rainy week here in Memphis. We are uh, easing into one day, you know, every day, one day closer to harvest season. It's right around the corner. Today is Friday, August 19, here in the Mid-South. And so, uh, you know, for that, for us, that means that it's field day season. I was actually thinking about that this day. We really start our field day season with stuff that we can drive to. And then by September, we're really stretching out across the Cotton Belt. We'll go to West Texas in September. We'll go to, I think I'm going to be in Georgia in October, right at harvest season just for some of those pretty fields. Good opportunity to take some pictures of some pretty open bowls down there. Uh, Jim, I know you have been on the road. What, where have you been recently for field days? Well, I've, I've stayed fairly close within driving distance. I uh, did the Milan No-Till Field Day that the University of Tennessee does. Uh, every other year up at their Milan Experiment Station. Uh, normally that is a, a highly attended day with a usually a high heat index as well. But as you mentioned, the rain this year just happened to be one of those days where it was rainy and overcast and cloudy and pretty muddy, as a matter of fact. But the show did go on. Uh, lots of good information there. Followed that up a week later by uh, going up to Union City, okay. Tennessee. Forgotten that one has happened. Yes, yes, for the uh, for the Monsanto Field Day. Uh, again, very very interesting. You know, some good information, uh, good topics, both from from the company folks and also from some university uh, contributors. Uh, one of the more striking visuals from uh, from that field day was uh, a plot of uh, soybeans and cotton that were both planted on July fourth, specifically for the field day. And at the end of the, uh, of the row, at the end of the, the plot, was the check row, which basically is this is the one area that, of course, does not get treated for anything in terms of weeds or anything else. Mm-hmm. And the pigweed was all, in one month was, uh, was towering above the crops and pretty much had them smothered out. You couldn't even see it. Huh. Um, we all hear stories about pigweed and how fast it grows. Uh, this was one of those perfect examples where you have a, a specific time frame that if you leave it alone, yeah, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I always tell people that Union City Field Day, when I was in high school, some people may not know, you know, my mom has worked at Delta Pine there in Scott, Mississippi, prior to uh, Monsanto acquiring uh, Delta Pine there in Scott. So when I was in high school, I was working down there as just a total peon. I mean, I was like on the, I was on the chopping crew. Um, the lowest, the lowest man on the chopping crew, I should say. Whatever grunt work we could find for you to do today, you <laughs> right. would do it. Yeah, it's exactly. like being born and raised on a farm. Right. Yeah, and so, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure uh, <laughs> many of the people I'm talking to know exactly the type of work that gets tossed your way when you are, you know, a teenager working on the farm. So, they would send us up to once a year, uh, up once a summer, up to Union City to sort of clean up in advance of this big Union City, this nice Union City field day that Delta Pine and, and Monsanto do each year. And so, uh, man, I always felt like that was the hottest day of the year every time I would go up there. And there were plots that needed some, you know, it was just 
it was tough work. So when I go back now as a seasoned journalist, I hit them up for every bottle of Gatorade and water and whatever uh, tchotchkes they have to hand out at that field day. I, I feel like I've earned them. So anyhow, another story for another time, I'm sure. We have a great show lined up for you today. We are uh, we're going to start like we always do. Jim is going to lead us in a brief discussion of the latest breaking cotton news from around the world. Today that includes, uh, I think he's got a crop progress report to review for us. Um, we're going to review some good news that Enlist got over the course of, I believe, of last week. Right, last week and a half. Yeah, uh, not the major good news that we're all still waiting for on the Enlist front, but good news nonetheless. And we're going to talk a little bit about some good news for one of agriculture's big cooperatives. So. Uh, you'll you'll not want to miss that. After that, we are bringing in one of the big guns for our big interview, and that is longtime cotton grower, friend of the program, Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Um, Dr. Cleveland joins us anytime we come calling for him, events, print pieces, now podcast pieces, uh, and we are always very thankful for his time. He actually joined us from his vacation this morning down in Key West. He surprised me. I thought he was going to be in Starkville. And he answered the phone. He said, hurry up. i got to get back to the beach. So we are uh, extremely <laughs> thank He didn't really say that, but he, he is on vacation. We, he, he only implied. Yeah, he only implied. He only he implied strongly. He, he laid a subtle guilt trip on us for, for leaning on him on his <laughs> vacation. Uh, but we do appreciate it. So obviously what we wanted to talk to him about was some of this uh, newsworthy movement that we've seen in the cotton market over the past few weeks and he gave a pretty good breakdown of what all's going on and what you should be doing in response. So you won't want to miss that interview with Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Stick around. For now, we just want to take a quick break. We will be right back on the flip side with some good news. So hang with us. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back uh, to the Cotton Companion. Speck said this is, the, uh, this is the time in the program where we always sit down and talk a little bit about some of the news items that are impacting the market. And as usual, during the growing season, we're going to start with uh, the crop progress report. This would be based off of the report issued um, August 14th, uh, taking a look at, uh, at bowl set, taking a look at, the, at bowls that are opening, and also the, the total crop condition. Uh, you notice we've, we've, we've moved away from the, from the squaring numbers because USDA has finally acknowledged that uh, this crop has moved beyond squaring and is now into bowl set. Um, this week's numbers showed that nationwide across the belt, 18% uh, increase in bowl set, uh, jumping from 70% up to 88% uh, at this point. That is actually running 
about five percentage points ahead of our five-year average. And there are that also includes six states that are running ahead of their five-year average. So this crop has been moving along rapidly. We've been saying that all season. Uh, and once again, another example of that. Same thing when you get to bowls opening, and this has been a relatively new category for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're looking at basically 12% of the crop across the country uh, now is showing open bowls. That's a 3% jump or 3% bump, I should say, uh, over the previous week, and is still, again, ahead of our five-year average uh, by two percentage points. Uh, the six states that, that I mentioned earlier as far as being ahead on, uh, of their average for, for bowl set, uh, those, same, those same six states are ahead of their average for, for open bowls, which really should come as no surprise. It gets a little, a little more concerning, I guess, when we start looking at, at the cotton condition uh, at this point. Uh, we've been watching a trend over the last couple of weeks as we've started to see the numbers for the poor and very poor categories start to inch up a little bit. Uh, basically, they're pulling numbers, pulling percentage points away from the, uh, from the fair rating overall. But as of August 14th, we were looking at 34% uh, of the crop is rated fair. Uh, that's down 2% from the previous week. Uh, we have 48% of the crop that's rated good to excellent, and that's relatively unchanged in the past week. The big change, of course, coming in the poor to very poor category, which now climbs to 18%. Uh, obviously, and, and I'm going back and looking through the report, uh, Texas is, is, of course, ahead in terms of acres that are in jeopardy at this point. Uh, at this point, you, I think roughly 25% of their acres fall into this category. And we're going to watch these numbers pretty closely over the next couple of weeks. Uh, there have been some rain events down in the south and, and coastal Texas area uh, that were tied to the flooding uh, issues that, uh, that southern Louisiana experienced. Uh, those, those events have kind of stopped harvest a little bit in those southern areas of Texas. Uh, and some folks are saying we could see some delays and some possible yield and quality issues, so we'll keep an eye on those numbers uh, as we go. Louisiana, obviously, uh, with the flooding, is another area of concern, although the majority of the cotton in that state is in the northern part of the state and is basically up and above and away from the flooding areas. Uh, that doesn't mean there won't be some, uh, some slowdowns or possibilities of, uh, of some standing water in areas that are what we'll call transitional areas as we move from that area down into, uh, into the southern part of the state. So again, things just to kind of keep an, an eye on. The crop is still ahead of schedule. Uh, some weather issues are just starting to, uh, to cause some concerns. And, and as you'll hear when we get into the discussion with OA Cleveland, uh, some aspects on, on how these weather issues can possibly impact uh, the markets at this point. Uh, we're going to move to the next the next segment. As as Beck said, we did get some uh, the industry got some good news on the enlist cotton trait front. Uh, we now have our, our Dow AgriSciences now has full export approval in key countries for lint for seed for uh, for things like that uh, that contain the enlist trait uh, to move into those countries without uh, without concerns. 
the latest came from South Korea. Uh, it's, it's a full feed and food import approval. And uh, as the folks at Dow say, this, of course, is a, is a great step forward. Uh, it's allowing the company to go ahead and start building on the, uh, the launch of the Enlist trait that, you, that we're seeing this year in the market through, uh, through the phytogen varieties. And just sort of allows them to start moving ahead and kind of bump up things a little bit more to as we move into the next year. Uh, of course, the one the one piece of news that we are still waiting on is the uh, registration of Enlist Duo for use on Enlist Cotton. Uh, the company says we are still on track for a uh, an approval by 2017 cropping season. Uh, we all have our fingers crossed and uh, are counting on that happening. Then finally, taking a look at some of our big cooperatives, uh, Farmers Cooperative Compress out in Lubbock, Texas, uh, which is a, a, a massive marketing and, uh, and processing cooperative, uh, is, uh, I get 68 years old, but as of uh, this year, with its dividend payout that will be made to members in 2016, uh, the company will reach the milestone of having distributed one billion, and that's billion with a B, dollars back to its producer owners. Uh, over 68 years, that's a pretty good return on your investment, Not I would bad. say. That's a big number. It's a big, big number. <laughs> uh, when you go, when you look at it uh, from from just a geographical perspective, there are 45 gins, cooperative gins that uh, that deliver cotton to uh, Farmers Cooperative Compress. The company warehouses and delivers about 35% of the cotton ginned in Texas, which, which also represents roughly 17% of the whole U.S. crop. Uh, uh, Compress, uh, Cooperative Compress collaborates with uh, Plains, Plains Cotton Cooperative Association, which is the marketing association, also based in Lubbock, and Pico Industries of Lubbock, uh, who's a producer-owned cottonseed oil mill. And you put these three co-ops together working, uh, working on behalf of their growers. Uh, they can process market warehouse and deliver or export millions of bales annually. And obviously, it's a great success story for the industry, uh, for that company, and for that West Texas region as well. So, uh, you know, hats off and, and, a, and a big thumbs up to Farmers Cooperative Compress for, for the things they've been doing for the industry. Absolutely. Big, big summer for milestones at the uh, marketing co-op. I, mean, I feel like we just did an item on staple cotton with a similar right, right. milestone that they had hit. So congrats to all y'all. Clearly your longevity, your sustainability, as it were, uh, is a testament to your own hard work. So congrats to you. Uh, Jim, we can cut it there if that's, if that's, that's good by you. And uh, we will take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to have a conversation with the always informative, always entertaining Dr. O.A. Cleveland. So hang with us, and we will be right back. So, all right. We are back here at the Cotton Companion Podcast with a very special guest, a very frequent guest of ours, and that is Dr. O.A. Cleveland. He is a professor emeritus of economics uh, at Mississippi State University with Mississippi State University Extension, and he joins us today from beautiful Key West. Do I have that right, O.A.? 
That's good. He's, he is apparently down there uh, on vacation, and he was kind enough to take a little time out of his Friday morning to join us and uh, talk about this cotton market, and there's no better source to talk about that with um, OA. Just to dive right in, we really, we've had some excitement, uh, as you well know, in the cotton market here for, I guess, the past few weeks um, on the back of the and you can correct me when I'm done setting this up if I have this wrong, but I believe on the back of the July WASD report, the fundamentals looked great for cotton and suddenly we broke that 70 cent ceiling and we and I think we topped out in the high 70s somewhere in there. You can elaborate on that. And now here we are in mid third week of August and the August report has come out and it looks like the most recent column you wrote for us was that the cotton market is on a little bit of the defensive. We checked this morning and prices are at about 68 cents. Isn't that right, Jim? That's right, just above 68. So, Dr. Cleveland, what's going on in this cotton market? Well, we have a very exciting cotton market and it's being impacted primarily by the uh, Mother Nature and the weather situations here in the United States as well as primarily in India but other countries as well. Uh, additionally, we've seen some demand increase in China that had been unaccounted for. And finally, the big word uh, again, China, the sales that have been coming out of their uh, reserve sale program had been much stronger than, than, than typical. Couple all that together with the fact that uh, there's just not a lot of high-quality cotton around the world. And it brought the market up uh, three weeks ago. We just shot straight up. Uh, we basically climbed. Uh, over 11 cents, we got up to a high of 78 and a half cents, and then just in a matter of a few days, we we uh, sold off by 11 cents. Didn't necessarily expect that, but we saw that it could happen. Uh, more to the point that I think we hoped it would not fall that precipitously, but it did, and it was just a combination of a number of things. Uh, particularly also related in that was we noticed when the market got to its very high point at 78 and a half cents, we looked at the data and we, all of a sudden we realized that the speculative fund long positions were at a record high. And interestingly enough, that every single time that we have made record highs in speculative long positions, we've had an immediate sell-off. And that uh, the market had closed very strong on a Friday. Uh, it had been as high as 77 and the 78 and a half cents. Closed very strong, uh, despite the, uh, uh, the, 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 the WASDU report that was neutral. But the market had come down 100 points or so that day. But by Friday's close, by seeing those spec longs of what such an exaggerated position, we put out the word then that uh, this market is headed for a crash. And by the time the market opened on Sunday night and went through its Monday's trading, we were basically limit down for two days in a row and then continued to go ahead and lose some 1,100 points. Uh, and that's where we stand today. We're sitting right at a teeter point with respect to where we might go from here. At 68 cents has become a very important support uh, point. Uh, we've fallen through other important support points to get down to 68 cents. So failing the whole 68 cents uh, broadcast to us that we're going to see something like a 65 cent trade, and I'll be the first to say that's something we definitely have not, have not seen coming. 
we felt like we would probably hold around 71 cents, but we didn't. But here at 78 cents, we have to look at 70 cents as being a little a small amount of resistance as we begin to recoup this thing. And then again, we'll see a little bit of resistance around 70 to 70 and a half cents. Longer term, I do anticipate that we would pull back into the low 70s, and I think we'll see another 75 cent trade again, basis the December ICE contract. But we do have to be concerned that uh, uh, most of the speculative loans are still in the market. We washed out some, but they're still there, and should something trigger uh, their indication to pull out of the market, then we've got to look at a market that will, in fact, fall below 65 cents. So it's not all rosy, but uh, hopefully we can keep it that way. Oh, a, a quick question. You mentioned that the market now is, is going to get very, very weather dependent, and we've been talking about that all, I guess, for the last two months at this point. And now we're starting to get reports out of, uh, of states uh, in the Mid-South uh, where we've got uh, open, you know, cotton starting to open, and now we've, we're suffering through a, a week of just wet, dreary, hot, humid conditions that are not conducive to, uh, you know, you really don't want your cotton opening at this point. Uh, in Texas, you've still got areas that need some rain. You've got some areas that have had too much rain. And you look at, the, at our weekly crop progress reports and we see that the crop condition in Texas uh, is deteriorating more and more each week. Uh, what, is this gonna, what does this potentially do for the market? comment and a very important comment there. Of course, the crop report that came out in August uh, were supply-demand numbers. That was based on conditions as of uh, August 1. The report came out on or about the 14th, so it was two weeks later, and here we are now nearly three weeks later. So that's what we're comparing it to, is to uh, August 1. And, and basically, everything that's, that's come out since the field survey was physically taken suggest that the crops have gone back, particularly in the big state of Texas, where more than half of our cotton is located. And I think that's realistic. And even some of the areas that did get the good rain, in many cases, it, it caused it to shed fruit and start, start regrowth again. That's not necessarily bad. Uh, the fruit that was there was probably going to be shed anyway because of the lack of moisture. But it, it, it begins to question whether or not uh, what, how much fruit was able to, to remain on the plant and what can, what can we harvest. We always think in terms of water is positive for the crop, but water makes cotton, and that's very true, but it can come at, that, at very bad times. The Mid-South had had just excellent weather, just beautiful cotton weather, as evidenced by the report that all the uh, Delta states, the Mid-South states, uh, were showing an average yield of, of 1,000 pounds or better, which was just phenomenal in and of itself. But now with this moisture coming and so much cotton uh, out there open, uh, we really need op open weather now. We need dry, uh, hot weather to get this crop to pop on out and come on. It's a little ahead of schedule, and, and, and that's good with the exception of moisture that we're seeing. And that's going to cost us two things. It's going to cost us some yield, and it's also going to cost us some quality. And quality is the name of the game in the export market now, and that's something that we need to keep, particularly in light of the fact that uh, we have a smaller availability of quality this year than we did last year, and even smaller than two years ago. So the availability of good export cotton has been shrinking. 
And we evidence that further from the point that we look at what few certificated stocks are left. They're just declining basically every day, every other day. Uh, and that just tells us that those search stocks are being demanded. And at this time of year, what the search stocks are basically cotton that no one wants. There was high, high enough in quality that they could get it on the board, but it was cotton that textile mills did not want. Uh, but yet that's what's moving in the market because that's what's, that's all that's left. So we have to be very concerned about uh, what kind of quality we get now. That's going to be the real key. And as we say, Mother Nature is going to hold a lot of that key. We need open weather now. Mm -hmm. Just a quick question about China, knowing that the uh, the reserve auction has gone very, very well for them and they've extended that through the end of September. Uh, where do you see their stocks ending up? I mean, is there sort of a pattern or a trend at this point where people think that that number is going to drop to? Well, we're anticipating that they're going to sell in the neighborhood of 10 million bales, uh, which was, would be a very wonderful feather in cotton's cap, not only China's cap, but cotton's cap. Uh, that was something that we would hope to see but did not anticipate that we would see. Uh, right now, now that they've extended the sales another month, we would go had gone from sales basically being fully subscribed, basically selling 100% of cotton that was offered every day, simply with the announcement that it's going to be sold for a month longer. And that was done at the request of the mills. They indicated they needed the cotton. But we're also seeing now only about 50 to 60% of the cotton being purchased. That is 50 to 60% of what's offered is actually being purchased on a daily basis. Uh, that, uh, that does not mean there's anything slowing. Uh, it simply means that, as they indicated, they're going to sell longer, so mills are being a little bit more deliberate with respect to what they buy. Uh, I would, again, tend to think that we'll take these stocks down uh, basically over this time period, 10 million bales. It's a great discussion as to how much cotton uh, China has, and USDA has a number, ICAC has a number, the industry carries yet a third number. Uh, probably, though, from relative to the USDA number, I would expect to see the Chinese stocks as a result of this program come down about 11 to 11 and a half bales. So, a very successful program. We, nevertheless, you still end up with carryover stocks that are somewhere about uh, in, 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 in the world, somewhere around 70 million, 60 million, uh, 50 million, which uh, I know those are wide parameters, but that's still a lot of cotton. The real key as we watch price is not how much cotton China has, it's how much cotton is outside of China, how much cotton is available to other importing countries, and that's basically going to come cotton availabilities in uh, Pakistan, Brazil, Australia, excuse me, Brazil, Australia, the United States, uh, and, and, and uh, West Africa. Yeah, OA, I. Uh I guess I, I want to let you get out of here and get back to your vacation before too long, but I, uh, one last question before I let you do that, and I want you to put on your farmer uh, professorial hat here. You know, we looked at a stagnant market for the longest time, and suddenly we have this blip uh, in cotton prices for three or four weeks. and, and Obviously, right now we're trying to figure out how sustainable the, those prices are, you know, north of 70 cents up into the upper 70s. If you're talking to farmers, if you were sitting in front of a room of farmers right now, what would you tell them 
is the teachable mo if there is one a teachable moment out of this I mean as far as how they what patience they should show uh, when trying to price a crop after looking at a 60 cent market for over a year I think to me the, the, the teachable moment is, is is when a market begins to move higher it, it's telling the farmer something it's telling the farmer that it needs cotton that it wants cotton and the farmers should hear that uh, well he's looking at a hungry market and just as we look at a hungry kid or a hungry man so to speak we need to feed that market we need to give it some satisfaction for moving higher i.e we need to do some selling and particularly once we get into the mid 70s much later well once we get into the low 70s but very particularly once we get into the mid 70s 74 to 76 cents all of a sudden then the teachable moment becomes hey we have jumped into the upper part of the, the historical price range for cotton uh, cotton is a commodity it's not does not inflate year after year after year after year like so many other items do so when we get into the mid 70s we're saying we're in the upper price range it's definitely time to begin pricing cotton uh, and at this point in stage, we get back to 72 cents, 73 cents. It's time to become 50% sold. I think I had everybody probably about 50% sold at, at, at 74, 75 cents, and it hoped that everyone would be 75% uh, sold by the time we hit that 77 cent mark. But again, the real idea is the market's moving higher then we should take action. We should thank the market by moving for moving higher by doing some pricing. And even here at 68 cents, if I've not priced anything, go ahead and price at least a quarter, at least a quarter. Uh, so what? It goes to 90 cents. Well, you've still got three quarters of your price of your cotton left to price at a much higher price. But uh, it's, it's not going to go to 90 cents, not going to wood. I wish it would, but I see absolutely no reason that would happen. Uh, so, you know, begin here today at that 25% if you've not done anything, and be willing at 70 cents to price another quarter. And if we get up to 73 cents, then price another quarter. Say that last 10%, 5%, say that last 15%, whatever, for the, for the home run that you want to hope and pray you can get. Uh, but take advantage of a market that moves higher. Very good. OA, you remain the man. We sure appreciate you talking to us whenever we come calling, and uh, you don't have too much fun down there in Key West this weekend, okay? It's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, OA. Appreciate yeah, th it. Thank you, sir. We'll be in touch. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. That'll just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to thank Dr. O.A. Cleveland again for joining us, and we want to thank you sincerely for following along. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, and if you're still listening by this point, I think that means that you do, we want you to tell your farmer buddies about us. Uh, let them know about the Cotton Companion Podcast as a, you know, a, a tool to keep them entertained, to keep them informed during this production season. Uh, you can tell them about us, tell them they can get to us, they can find the podcast in three easy methods. Uh, the first is by simply going to cottongrower.com 
and searching for the Cotton Companion Podcast in the search bar. The second, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you're familiar with uh, a smartphone, you know a little bit about the iTunes app, go in there, go in the search bar and search for the Cotton Companion channel. You can subscribe to our channel there, and that way every episode, once it's posted, drops onto that channel onto your phone. Uh, Once you do that, if you do, by all means, leave us a rating. Let us know what you... We hope you leave us a five-star rating. We want you to let us know what you think of our pod, good or bad. We, we love the feedback. The third way, the best way for you to be sure you receive each installment of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-newsletter. Jim here works hard to pack that thing with all of the relevant news of the day each week, and uh, those things hit your, mail, hit your email inbox like clockwork each Tuesday morning. Occasionally, as we get later in the year, they will be hitting your mailbox on Thursdays as well, so keep an eye out for that. Now, you can you can make sure that you are receiving the Cotton Grower e-newsletter by going to www.cottongrower.com. You scroll to the bottom of the page, and you will find a link there to subscribe. Hit that link, and it will prompt you to uh, sign up for our e-newsletter. Lastly, we want to make sure you are following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which is still June, July, correct? Yes, right. June, although, uh, although August, September will be coming very, very soon. Yes, August, September should be in your mailbox here in the next couple of weeks, so uh, you won't want to miss that. Got a lot of great content packaged into that thing for you. This podcast is produced by Mr. Mark Antonelli. He works at the Mothership, Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I am looking forward to being back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farming operation all the best. 